Hey, casters and familiars out there. Welcome to Not Your Average Witch with me, Mickey, your queen witch bitch of the hour. I'm joined tonight with uh, two of my friends and roommates. Um, this is Cameron. Cameron, say hi. Hello. Hi. And Camille. Hi. And you are joining us here tonight for Maneater Monday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so you two had the pleasure last night of watching that episode of Lovecraft Country uh, with me. Yes. Yeah. Um, for those of you who aren't familiar, Lovecraft Country is a series on HBO that basically goes into um, different kind of sci-fi lore episodes. Specifically, the episode that we watched was um, episode six, um, which dealt with... God, it was like the Korean War or something like that? Yes. Yeah. It was between the years, I think they said like 1946 and 1950. I think you're right. Or something like that. Yeah, so basically the U.S.'s invasion of Korea, and um, the focal point was this girl um, who is uh, taken over by a Kumiho spirit. Um, <laughs> yeah, okay, so a Kumiho spirit is a nine-tailed fox um, that is basically cast into the body of a beautiful woman. Wom woman, singular, there's only one of her. Okay, so it's basically a vengeful demon that gets to seduce and then kill men who she has a vengeance against. Um, these men would be people who have done her wrong. It's lawful seducers. It's rapists. I was reading an article by Colette Bauman, who basically um, just goes into the idea of the East Asian Gothic. Um, she defines a lot of things within that noir-type film cinema that came out in Asia. And um, the way she describes... The Komiho is that she's kind of a femme fatale. Um, for those of you who aren't familiar, uh, basically the femme fatale is the idea that when there, it's, it's a woman character who enters a scene and you can kind of tell she is dripping with seduction. She is the woman in the gaudy red dress, the red lipstick, her hair is curled. And there's something that's so alluring about her, something that draws you in. She's so beautiful. She's so perfect. But you know there's something that's wrong with her. She is evil. And so, basically, the idea is that this Kumiho spirit has that appeal to it, that draw, that she, everything about her is supposed to just drip, that you want to be her, you want to be with her, and then that's how she lures these men in to kill them. Um, because she gets them to their most vulnerable stage, she gets them naked, she basically waits until after they climax, I think, too. <laughs> and then <laughs> her tails, like, whip out of her body, and literally stab them through the face she yeah. she penetrates she them back them. actually that makes a lot of sense i'm pretty sure in the episode i did notice that the first guy that we see her murder like he orgasms first mm -hmm. before her tails even like true touch him true. so it's like until after his deed is done that she's like okay then it's time for you to go <laughs> Yeah, it's a very weird, and then it kind of hits them back with that, like, well, granted, she has nine tails and not one singular penis, but she does penetrate them right back. Like, that's yeah. the way they do it. She has tails that come out of her Very ears, specific. her eyes, her mouth, that then enter his ears, his eyes, his mouth. It's honestly absolutely horrifying to watch. It comes out of it almost is. every orifice, because I'm pretty sure it comes out of her nose, too. Yeah. Yeah. Any, yeah. It's, it's... Yeah, it can be. Why not? Not the whole thing. I can get it out. It's fine. It's not it's not for the faint of heart though. Um she literally explodes these men after they, she like she's able to like see their whole like 
future. Their whole lives. Their whole lives. Yeah. She's able to, like, she she basically, so the premise is that um, this girl's mother actually contacted a shaman woman to have her put the demon inside her daughter because her husband, who is not the girl's father, that we are specifically incest. told that this is not an act of incest. Um, it is the girl's stepfather, but this girl's stepfather is um, consistently raping her on a daily basis, basically. The woman puts the spirit inside her daughter in, t- in order to get revenge against her husband for raping her. So the idea was that if she put the spirit in, then he would, the next time he tried to have sex with her, the spirit would come out and, like, you know, tear him to shreds, literally and figuratively. Right, with the catch being she had to get a hundred. Yes. Um, so instead, that that's the, she basically had 99 more to go after that in order to regain her human form and not her kumiho form. And become a normal girl again, which is what the mother wants throughout the whole episode. Um, super empowering, by the way. I was kind of like, it takes this route where the girl kind of learns to embrace and to love her human form or her kumiho form. Mm-hmm. And I kind of fucked with that. I'm not yeah. gonna lie. Yeah, it gets to a point I think where the the kumiho is kind of like. I have more of wanting inside of me than to just explode men for <laughs> vengeance. You know what I mean? Like, she realizes yeah. that she also has wants and needs, and that even though the mother, whose ultimate goal was to get her daughter back, continues telling the Kumiho that she can't feel those things and she's only there for that purpose, you get to see her, like, come to realize that, no, she actually does want more than that she wants to be able to experience more than what she has been allowed to while she is in this body which is interesting to see it's interesting and i mean obviously like as a westerner watching this it does put you in a weird spot because the way that she gains friends like her first friend is a communist because it's the communist being like I don't understand why people hate me because this is what I am. And then she kind of understands as a demon, but she's like, yeah, you know, I don't know why people hate me either because this is just who I am and I kind of like it. And it's like, I feel like I shouldn't be okay with this, but I'm kind of okay with it because it's kind of heartwarming. <laughs> but like, it feels like it shouldn't be. Yeah, I don't, I, it, yeah, interesting. It was interesting. Um, but while we were watching this, I just, I got, but between that aspect of her having to seduce these men to kill them and, um, the fact that she, you know, is inhabited by a demon spirit, which, you know, as one does, uh, I got to thinking a lot about Jennifer's body. And I know like these aren't super comparable. I know they're like completely different sides of the world. It's completely different mythological lore. I just... Jennifer's body just, uh, it's, it's, you know, okay, so for those of you who don't know, Jennifer's body is another one of those films that, um, basically Megan Fox's character, Jennifer, uh, is taken by this band who wants to become really famous, and they think they can do that by sacrificing a virgin body to Satan. And for those of you who haven't seen Megan Fox, I'm just gonna say it right now, there's no way that any character she's ever playing in a movie is going to be a virgin. Her whole... (laughs) career is honestly sadly based off her sex appeal i really like her as an actress but like this is the part that she plays yeah she's very obviously hot yeah so they take her and they do indeed murder her and try to sacrifice her 
only it doesn't work. So we see Jennifer attack the main character later on that night. Her name is Needy, played by Amanda Seyfried. Um, and and um, basically we find out that Jennifer has quote-unquote changed. And so we are given the explanation later on that like this band does indeed sacrifice her, but because they specifically needed a virgin and Megan Fox said she was a virgin even though she was not... There was this kind of revenge sequence instead against, I guess it would technically be the band, that Jennifer was reborn into a demon instead who feasts on the body and blood of young men in order to revitalize herself and stay alive. We see the negative consequences of this when she goes several days, several weeks without being able to feast on a boy and she, her hair loses its luster, her skin loses its beautiful tone, she's quote unquote less of the hot girl but it's still Megan Fox so she's obviously still hot we're not losing she just losing... looks really hungover yeah that's a great way to put it um and basically the way that she 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 uses her powers um in order to seduce these men when she's at her you know peak hotness level um to lure them in she gets them basically thinking that they're going to have sex and then she rips their guts out Quite literally, it's not a pretty sight once again. <laughs> not recommended for the faint of heart. It is brutal both ways. Like, the, the kumiho, like, literally makes them explode. And in Jennifer's body, they make it very apparent that she's, like, maiming them. She's, like, gutting them open. Yeah, it's... Yeah, you're right. Because they really do, in the kumiho episode, she literally, they burst they into just... explode into nothing. A cloud of blood. Yeah. Yeah. So I was reading another article then um, by Shannon Scott. So this was called Post-Feminism and the Fatale Figure in Neo-Noir Cinema. Um, and it kind of puts this focus, it puts a lot more focus than traditional noir films on the horror terror aspect of character. So it divulges more into the science fiction world and more into the um, fantasy realm. And I wanted to pull a quote out that I think described both of these things really well. And it's that um, explicit sex is not just a manipulative weapon in the neo-noir to make men do what the femme fatale desires of him to do, but literally as a weapon that kills him. Um, and then it gives an example. Um, but yeah, it's kind of that idea that like, you know, a lot of these movies would like turn it on them to make it a power play. Like, if we're not looking at the horror spectrum. That's interesting, because it turns... Instead of having sex as a way to manipulate them into doing what they want them to do, they use the idea of sex to manipulate them to be vulnerable so that they can just kill them. Mm -hmm. Either during or without the sex actually happening. Yeah. Because in Jennifer's body, do we ever see them actually have sex? I feel like we don't. She just seduces them... And then rips them apart. No, you're right. She doesn't actually... She just gets them into that state where they're not thinking about it. And yeah. I think that's, like... It, it's comparable to the fact that the Kumiho, like, kind of waits until post-orgasm. Because that's literally at the their weakest, not right. attemptive point. Right. Yeah. They're at their most distracted, almost. Yeah. No, yeah, for sure. Well, and the other reason that I thought these were kind of interesting is because... um. I know I've had this conversation with you, but, like, I know neither of these are quote-unquote slasher films because, well, we're already failing that first aspect in the fact that the slasher is always a man, um, <clears throat> hyper-masculinized. Yeah. Um, 
But slasher films always give off this idea of the final girl, if you guys know that trope. So that idea that do... The final girl is the virgin. So the reason that she is set apart is because in typical slasher films, um, the girls that are sought after and killed are the girls that are sexually promiscuous. Um, Their deaths are seen... Yeah. Yes. yes, their deaths yes. are seen as a punishment right. because of their sexual promiscuity. Um, so the reason that the final girl doesn't follow this trope is because she, having not had sex yet, or being the least sexualized Desirable. person on the screen, yeah. is still in like almost a phase that... Uh, um, so Carol Clover talks about this a lot in her uh, article, Her Body her- Himself, um, that basically they equate her down to like an adolescent boy who's, like, not fully a man yet, he's not masculinized, but also because she hasn't had sex, she's less feminized. And so it's that idea that she has to be the one to kill the killer because the killer can't... The killer can't kill her because she hasn't, like, you know, been promiscuous. She's yeah. sinned okay. enough to deserve mm-hmm. death at that point. Okay. Yeah. So I really thought these films were interesting because it kind of turns that theory on its head that... Whenever we have a woman slasher, because I would say that she's basically a slasher. Like, this is... This is slashing. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's fine. At least with Jennifer's body. I know this doesn't work as well with the Kamiho one, but, like... I think, like, she is slashing. This is gore. This is, yeah. you know... Um, what, what, what word am I... It's a fear jerker. <laughs> it's a fear jerker. It's, it's the bloodlust movies. Yeah. And I just think it's so interesting because it's that idea that, like... It, it, it's like those promiscuous girls finally reaping their revenge. Yeah. So, like, I think it's interesting because it's also, like... It also <sighs> villainizes it almost in a way. You always see um, things about, like, villain coding. How, like, a lot of times... <clears throat> the most, like, prominent example would be, like, in Powerpuff Girls when you think about him. And that's because he's, like, very obviously a drag and queen. Yeah. yeah. So villain coding being, like because you're sexy and you're promiscuous and like you can be perceived in a very sexual way now we're gonna make you a murderer you know what i mean so like even though it's like reaping both sides it's like a double-edged sword because they're made to be like oh they're good because they're sexy and it's eye candy and it's something that you can look at during the movie but at the same time the subconscious message is like but also they're trash for that because they're using it for evil like it literally is evil itself yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I also did think about the difference between the Kumiho and Jennifer's body. By the end of the Kumiho episode, they show this succubus having empathy towards mm-hmm. a character, a man specifically. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Jennifer's body, she's even willing to kill Needy, which was her like her best friend, her woman acquaintance. And had no empathy for ever murdering a man in general. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was cool, seeing the difference between that, considering they're both succubi, I guess. Yeah, it's definitely a play on, like, who is the monster here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I like that a lot. Um, especially because, like, the demon that was born into the Kumiho's body, she doesn't remember being human. She right. remembers only her Kumiho life. She remembers the men's memories of everybody that she's killed, but she doesn't remember who she was when she was human. Right. Whereas Jennifer has retained all of these things, knew all of these people her entire lives that they, like she kills during and this movie. And still empathy. Yeah. yeah. 
So the fact that the Kumiho can show this kind of empathy for absolute strangers, yeah. and she does consistently, we know she hates killing. We know she hates living with their memories inside of her because even though these men are terrible, like her father, her stepfather was a rapist. He raped her. And she still in the back of her mind is like, don't you remember that this was his favorite food? And she has that almost empathy for him that her mother didn't have. Yeah. Yeah. Which that mommy daughter relationship, man, I don't even want to. Yeah. (laughs) I don't even want to fucking delve into that at the moment. It's so manipulative. Yeah. There's a lot of different vibes going on there. Yeah. Um, To work in another idea, um, I was reading up. So Laura Williams has this um, article on film bodies and specifically she talks about the body genre. I know I explained this to you guys before, but just to recap, um, basically they're those, (laughs) in the worst way to put it possibly, fear jerkers, tear jerkers, and jerk off movies. So porn, (laughs) horror, and um, melodramas, which evoke that body sense and like sensual experiences and sex are what bring us close together, whatever. Um... And this is something that she said about porn, but I feel like was really interesting because I feel like it also works into the horror aspect really well. And since she talks about both, I kind of felt it still be appropriate. Um, And there's a specific sentence that it's like, the bad girl is punished, but in return receives pleasure. And I feel like that kind of worked in Jennifer's body in the sense that, well, one, she was punished here for not being sexual, but we're going to... But, like, there's there's something in the level of punishment because she lied about being a virgin, so then this demon came inside of her. But then she fucks with herself as a demon. Mm-hmm. Like, there's specifically that scene where she's, like, lighting her tongue on fire in the mirror, and then she flicks it back up just to see the pain go away. She cuts herself just to see herself heal quicker. Like, she... And it goes along with an overhorse. Like, she likes herself as a demon. She right. likes being who she is for that reason well, and being that manipulative sexual identity. I wondered about that, too. Is Jennifer... She's Jennifer, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Is Jennifer also still part of herself? Because the Camillo has no recollection of her previous life as a human at all. Yeah. Whereas Jennifer's body, the demon in her body knows about her classmates. She still recognizes her best friend. She still knows who these people are. So she's still retaining part of her soul. Oh, she's still Jennifer. Yeah. Okay. So she's just Jennifer influenced heavily by this demon. Yes. And I would say this because we know that Jennifer has bad qualities about herself. She's very pushy with Needy. Needy very much so lives in her shadow, follows her around. You know, she's very controlling, you know, look hot tonight. You need it. Like, we need to get attention tonight. I'm going to seduce this guy tonight. And I think having the demon inside of her just pushed all of those thoughts to the extreme. Mm. So, like, I don't think she was a very empathetic character to start. I think she was very self-centered and self-focused. She was selfish. Um, But I think having that demon inside of her kind of drove that over the edge more so. Until... Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Um, It amplified it until she kind of, like, she is that self, she has all those memories, but she also, like, is a monster. So she didn't care about the guys she killed at all? No. No. 
I feel like that's the opposite of the Kamiho. I feel like she was like caring about she was caring right. more even though she's like fully the demon. Yes, and is. I think that has to deal with a lot of like what the heart of the demon is itself. So like going back to that article that I was reading on Kamiho culture, it's that they're literally demons created to get revenge. Okay. So, like, she was supposed to be seeking out these men that are, like, you know, quote-unquote, the worst of the worst. But she didn't like it. I don't... She didn't. I don't, I don't think, think she liked the killing. I think... It. No. I, I think she she was definitely humanized. She was empathetic. And I don't think... I think it's living with those memories that made her go, oh, my God, these this were human horrible, beings. And I don't want to do it again. Yes. Do you think Jennifer is humanized? Not by the end of the movie. I think we actually lose her, in, in my opinion at least, I think she loses her humanity. Um, so it shows like we watch basically two things going in the opposite direction. Like yeah. a demon losing, like gaining its humanity, and then a human with a demon losing their humanity. Yeah. I think it's all in how they use their sex and emotions. So Jennifer is extremely sexualized and then loses that human empathy. The demon doesn't actually want to be inherently sexual. And empathizes. Interesting. The article by Scott touched on, and God, I freaking. Okay, so the reason that in this, thank God, does not happen in the Kamiho episode, I think that's why, in part, that it's way more empowering than Jennifer's body, is <sighs> when it comes to using sex in movies like these. <laughs> When it comes to using sex in movies like these, we know there is a right way and a wrong way to do it. We know that sex is often juxtaposed really hard in horror with the grotesque because it's that idea that, you know, we want to discourage adolescents from having underage premarital sex, whatever, as much as we physically can. So that's why we often see, like, the girl fucking in the woods and then being brutally murdered with an axe in her back. Don't have sex. Mid-sex. Yeah, yeah the lesson not. is don't have sex. <laughs> but... Thanks, me. I think I like the Kamiho legend because it doesn't put off that vibe necessarily. It's not don't have sex. It's basically like know who you're having sex with. <laughs> right. Um, don't have but inappropriate sex. The thing I hate about Jennifer's body, and this is brought up in this article because I brought that up in the first place, is that Scott talks about the neo-noir in a positive light for the lesbian and bisexual relationship in film. Because it's supposed to do something better. Um, it's supposed to be... Whereas normal films are normally associated with, like, homosexuality as being overindulgent or narcissistic and defiance and destruction. Terrible things. Neo-noir tends to use it in a better, more deadly, in the positive light attribute. And Jennifer's body definitely does not do no. this. <laughs> Um, well, I thought about, that's, like, also what I thought about, too, because at the end, when you compare um, both of the succubi's relationships with their female partners, in the Kamiho episode, she doesn't really care for the girl as much, but she also knows that the girl cares for her, because I think that at one point in the episode she says, I imitated her care. Mm-hmm. 
to try to act more human. Mm -hmm. So like while she doesn't like care for the girl like the girl cares for her as the way that she cares for the man in the story, she also recognizes that like she's an important figure. She thinks of her as her best friend. Like mm -hmm. it's sisterhood. Right. Yeah. Right. Whereas in Jennifer's body, when they're at the end scene, she's like, oh, when she says, I go both ways, she literally is meaning, like, I I don't give a fuck about you. Like, I okay. will eat you also. Yeah. yeah, well, and then there's just... You know, with this, the, the, this whole portion of the movie was just because sex sells. And specifically, you know... Who doesn't want to see Amanda Seyfried and Megan Fox kiss? Let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Let's you're, be honest. You're not wrong, but I mean, it still doesn't say anything good for the audience. They're trying to use that as a selling point yeah. for the movie, like... Guys find lesbians hot for some fucking reason. Um, yeah. That's yeah, that's a whole nother <laughs> terrible conversation. But it's that idea that Jennifer and her makeout scene just <clears throat> adds for absolutely no nothing to the film. For no reason. They kissed for what? They Two were minutes. best friends and they kissed for what? Like, for what reason? <laughs> yeah. Be because why? Yeah. But then even, like it didn't make any sense. They weren't interested in each other. They had never expressed anything but it, <laughs> in that sort of interest. And she was like, yeah, I'm going to sneak into your house and make out with you. But like, funny, look at the end of the film weird. then with their relationship that's been creative. There is no sisterhood involved as we previously talked about. And then on top of that, we have this awkwardly over-sexualized end murder scene where they're like in the air on top of each other, like tumbling around together until uh, Megan Fox eventually falls to the bed and Amanda Seyfried has the knife in her hand and penetrates her chest from like the heaviest falling distance Jesus possible. God. Yeah, like it's so awkwardly like they're laying on each other's bodies. Like it's such an awkwardly overly sexualized film and like what are we supposed to take away from that? Yeah. There's no positives about the female to female okay. relationship. It's soft porn. Yes, and those are the only two women basically in this entire film. Ugh. There's nothing strong that comes out of this. That's Whereas for the box office. I really loved the ending of the Kamiho episode because, and this is full spoilers, I am so sorry if you've never seen either of those things. Um, <laughs> the mother learns to love her daughter for who she is and empathizes with her when she falls in love with the soldier and the soldier is grotesquely like, turned off really by her body. That was a strong scene. Yes. At that, the very end there where she holds her when she's feeling sad about yes. what happened with her, the soldier. It's and like, then together they go back to the shaman and the shaman's like, <laughs> you brought her here and she hasn't even finished her thing. And the mother basically says, I will bear the full punishment for her not completing yeah. her hundred souls. Right. And like, obviously we don't actually know how this ends. We don't know. Um, I, I only assume that the Kumiho stays in her body. I have no idea what happens from this point on. But like the fact Twilight that the mother's willing to take that weight for her daughter and like right. learns to love the demon that has become her daughter is so beautiful yeah she doesn't push her to get that one last the soul even if it's not the person that she loves she literally just like okay you don't want to do this anymore i care about you enough to be like fine fuck it even if i don't yeah. get my daughter back like you can have this release that's amazing again that shows the empathy that grows just within like that shows two different character arcs in there as well yeah, so basically what what have we just, like, derived from this idea is that <clears throat> in order for the film to work well from the feminist perspective, there has to be empathy. Um, yeah. There has to be, I guess, is not necessarily, but growth, I guess, is the way to put it. Some sort of character, just in general. Yeah, and then it has to be the fact that sex isn't just used for appeal. Yeah. 
Because if you think about like the Kumiho's character arc, she might have started off more heartless, but she gets that empathy, even for the soldier who did her so wrong. Yeah. Not even just him being a man, but her having that like True. personal vendetta against him and still being like, but I love you. Versus, like, Jennifer, what did she get? She was kind of a mean bitch to begin with, and she became kind of a meaner bitch that <laughs> tore men apart. Like, there is no real character there's in there. No. She just becomes a demon. Yeah. True. Yeah. That's probably why. Yeah. I mean, Amanda Seyfried's character at the end is kind of badass. I'm not going to even lie about that. Yeah, but then what? She turns also into part demon she because does, she bit by Jennifer. But she does actually use that shit for revenge. She chases down yeah. Low Shoulder, the band that, you know, turned Jennifer into this monster, and she brutally goddamn murders them and I am indeed here for that one and I guess her not being a whole succubus means that she doesn't really have to do it again yeah I fuck with the revenge trope I just I guess I'm curious to see how her empathy would lie because we saw Jennifer's bad turn more bad whereas Needy's always been the kinder soul so like would we have that being emphasized the same way as we saw Jennifer's evil interests emphasized right like, do her negative traits also get amplified, or does she just get to be floaty at yeah. the end? Yeah. That's what I want to know. True. Yeah. Where does that go? Thanks to all my familiars out there who've been turning in for tonight. Um, something to keep in mind, because we're going to keep on this same kind of man-eater train uh, for next Monday. Um, tune in next time, though, to see us talking about... We're going to take a little bit of a turn. So, going from demon spirits, we're going to be talking about... The amazing vampire spirits that are everywhere in society nowadays because we love that trope. Um, So kind of just keep in mind those ideas of um, empathy and of uh, the way that we see sex played out in these films. Um, Truly, it's something that society puts so much emphasis on. So it's something we're definitely going to have a more in-depth look at. We're going to see Lady Gaga from American Horror Story. We're going to see... Byzantinium, which is an awful film if you've never seen it. I highly encourage you to go and watch it before next week's episode. And um, looking into the future, we're going to look at films such as Let Me In. We're going to look at uh, films such as, oh, A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, which is amazing. So just be prepared, be ready, and try not to be scared. Go have a drink for me. All right. So anyway, gads and ghouls, I am not your average witch, and I will see you next time. Yes! Yes! (laughs) That was so good.